Content Lab is brought to you by Scripted. From personal experience, I know Scripted has the copywriters and freelancers you need to bring your content marketing strategies to life. Learn more at scripted.com. Franco Valentino. I'm You're back. back. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's up. And I'm so excited about this episode today because it was actually inspired by our community, Impact Elite, and some like crazy amount of questions around apparently what I didn't realize until you and I were talking literally minutes ago is the most misunderstood thing for lack of a better term, because it's Friday morning and this is what people are getting. It's the most misunderstood thing about SEO and content. And in yes. fact, I was wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. So today you have joined us again on this show to talk about duplicate content. Yes. And I'm, ex I'm so excited. I'm smiling ear to ear. You guys can't see that, but I am so excited to be back on here. For, that's, and you're exactly right. It's one of the most uh, misunderstood topics within SEO and technical SEO. And in the inbound space, um, we see this question a lot, that and subdomains versus subfolders, which is left for another discussion. But uh, duplicate content penalties don't actually exist. Google actually doesn't penalize your website for duplicate content. As a matter of fact, 30% of the internet is duplicate. So how do you solve that problem, right? When you create a page, what, you know, if you, and you copy it and you make it substantially similar, is that duplicate or not? And like, so this is where I feel a little bit like a crazy person. Right. Because I have always been brought up to understand in my, in my inbound marketing training that there is such a thing as a duplicate content penalty and that it's something you had to be very wary of. And in fact, let's backtrack a little bit. So the, the duplicate content penalty, as you said, does not exist. And this is mind blowing. And it's not just my logical fallacy, my inaccurate way of thinking about this, because again, going back to the start of this conversation, we had a conversation in Impact Elite that started around pillar content. Because the challenge that a lot of people have run into, just specifically with this question that this person had, was that um, you know there are topic clusters, and topic clusters are built around a piece of pillar content that is the definitive resource on a very broad, um, high volume keyword. And then the subtopics usually are, you know, more focused keywords that have to do with that topic. So often you'll have what people would consider duplicate content. So for example, website redesign is a pillar we have. We have a subtopic blog article that's connected to that pillar that has to do with cost, but we also have a section on cost within that pillar. So a lot of people have become concerned about that. So Brian Walker, one of our Impact Elite members, came on our forum and asked that question. And then now here I am learning that there is no such thing as a penalty. So please exp explain to me why we are all suffering from this mass delusion. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. No, it's great. And it's actually, it's very confusing, as we said before. So let's actually define it uh, the way that Google defines it. So duplicate content is content that is identical right? Meaning the words on the page are literally the same words on the page. The title of the page is exactly the same title of the page. The meta description is the same. The H1 is the same. It, it's identical. Okay. So that, that is a duplicate piece of content. So that, that, that's one marker. The second marker is, is it appreciably similar? Meaning maybe it's the same title, but somebody spun the article close enough. So, um, so there's, there's certain, the majority of the words are the same, and it has 
maybe one sentence that's different. Okay, so that's appreciably similar. And we start thinking about this um, sort of like the copyright laws. Uh, and this is, this is not a hard and fast law, but the, the, in, the, in the copyright and intellectual property space, for a piece of work to be unique means, let's say that I took one of your articles and I reworded the article, right? When we were in high school and college, right? This is what you do. You go find mm-hmm. content and you rework it, make it your own. If I it, never did that, Franco. Oh, How yeah. dare you? Right. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> if I believe you. Right? So tell me about these lessers who so, did these so, things. Yeah. So, so let's, let's just assume that you did take a piece of content and you, and you like it and you worded it in your own words. If that piece of content is 30% different, how you gauge 30%, I don't know, but in the legal space, if it's 30% different, it's yours. It becomes an original piece of content. So I I like to think of it that way. If you have changed about 30% of your pillar page and made it into a new article, that's pretty much not duplicate content at that point. 30% is not a lot when you think about it, right? Now, it's all subjective, right? I mean, if you get into a legal battle over something like that, how do you, you know, it, what does appreciably similar mean, right? And maybe it's one of the things where, you know, I, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it, right? So, so let's, let's talk about from the pillar standpoint, because this is the most important part. So you're building your masterpiece pillar on X topic, right? On world's fastest supercars, okay? And you're talking about Bugattis. That section that you talked about on the pillar page, which may be four, 500 words, perhaps, you've taken and you've put it out into its own article and you've perhaps expanded on it. That is absolutely not duplicate content, right? If it's 30% different on that article, the, the title of it has maybe changed slightly. Like you're talking about the Bugatti Veyron versus just the overall Bugatti company, if that makes sense. Uh, that is not different. I am sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> no, actually, I'm not sorry. I love cars. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Like, and airplanes, oh, but that's okay. a whole different Okay, we're going Bugatti. <laughs> yes, we are. We're going Bugatti. Got to go straight to the top. So, <laughs> so, so, my point, right, is if you do make that other article, that is not duplicate content. You will not get penalized for it. Now, if you take your pillar and you literally copy your pillar, change a couple words on it, what's going to happen is this. If Google sees that is it is appreciably similar, it, it's hurting you two ways. They are going to either dilute the keywords across the two pages, which means you're fighting yourself for the keyword density, okay? Or they're or they're just going to ignore one of the pages. Does that make sense? Okay. So that is that is exactly that, that's the way we look at it. Are you going to fight yourself? So how do you solve that problem? Let's assume that you have a pillar and you have six different sections that are that are similar, but they're not the same. When you talk about these things, when you talk about the pillar um, or when you talk about the content, the words and the mix of words, the intent of that particular piece of, piece of content, as you know, has slightly different entity information. If you're talking about Bugatti on one page, you're talking about the company and that word does not appear on the car page. You're talking about a specific car model. So they're different enough that Google can understand that they are they're talking about this a similar entity, but they are different topics related to that entity. All right, canonical tags. This is where you solve this. So let's assume that you made a piece of content, you duplicated, you literally copied it ten times. As long as the other, as long as nine of those point to the beginning article, you've done the job of avoiding what can be considered a duplicate content penalty. You're not diluting your keywords across those ten. Okay. All right. So I have lots of questions. Okay. I have lots of questions. I'll stop talking. 
No, you're fine. Um, never stop talking. I love you. You're wonderful. <laughs> I love you too. Um, you're the only person I'll record with this early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of coffee as we've mentioned before. Oh yeah, absolutely. So first question. So it sounds like it's, so it, it, I think what I'm hearing is that it's not necessarily that Google sees duplicate content and then goes, F you in particular, <laughs> you know, like, right. you, you know, you have been penalized by Google Zeus upon high. It's right. more that actually we're hurting ourselves. Correct. We're diluting our own content. So it's not actually Google penalizing us. It's us confusing the great Google machine because we now have the same content spread in multiple places. Correct. And you're sending the signal of which, which one wins, which is the one that you actually want the keywords for. So, and, and that's the problem, right? We are hurting ourselves in, in which case. And the way to solve that pain is to set a canonical tag to the original source, the very first article that you wrote on top. So can you dumb down, like, let's say someone has never heard of a canonical tag before, because I have, and I know HubSpot now has a neat advanced feature on articles and pages to allow you to do that. But tell someone who has never heard of that before what that is and how they do it. Sure, sure. And I, I don't want to gloss over one thing that you said. Um, HubSpot has now added uh, editing. You're able to edit your canonicals on a piece of content. That wasn't available before. No, it was um, not. That it's was new. a huge problem. That, is, that was a huge problem. So thankfully, that, that's, that's fixed. All right, so let's talk about canonical tags. Let's say, again, you write a brilliant piece of content and I steal it from you because I like to do that. I love Liz's content and I steal it verbatim. I just copy it and I put it on my website. And guess what I do? I, it, it show, the canonical tag, meaning it, it's a little, it's a meta tag that goes in the header. It's a piece of code that tells Google, I am the originating source. It's your copyright. I am the originating source of this content and I published it on this date. Okay. Does that make sense? You're actually sending, you're stamping it with your copyright. Let's put it that way. That's the easiest uh, way to think about it. Mm -hmm. If I then steal your content, okay, and I, and I don't put a canonical because I don't even know what it is, Google will still give you the keywords, even though I've copied your content, okay? It's a way of marking, it's putting your stamp on that original source of, of information, of, of that article, okay? Um, that is it at its root. It gets much more complicated as, as sites get bigger and things start ranking higher. Because what happens if I steal your content and I give myself the canonical, meaning I copied Liz's article, I copied your, your pillar on, on website development, mm -hmm. and I set it to my website. I mean, I am the originating source of this, of this article. Okay. What does Google do in this case? I don't know. Okay. So panic. Uh, <laughs> right, right. We all panic because what happens is if my domain has more authority than yours, I may get the keywords. What? Yes. And that, we'll have that. We'll talk about that a lot. Well, we might talk, it gets very deep and very complicated at this point, but yes, Google is not, uh, Google is not the biggest friend of ours that we think it is. So let's just put it this way. If you put your canonical in, which HubSpot does by default, uh, and WordPress will do it if you have Yoast SEO as well, you just set mm -hmm. it to, it's called self-referential canonicals, meaning when you publish it, it points to itself and it has a timestamp. And this is where, this is how you can secure it. I published my article. I did my timestamp. Google can look at those timestamps and say, you know what? Liz published it before this one. This guy copied it. So I'm not going to give Franco any keywords because it's Liz. This is Liz's article. So that's how you solve Ooh, part of that problem. Sneaky. Yes, pretty sneaky. Right. So anyway, without getting too complicated, that's how you would solve the duplicate content issue. 
So, and it, let me reiterate this part. 30% of the internet by big data estimates are, is a copy of itself. And the way that that's solved is through canonical tags. Who originated this piece of content? And then Google does a really good job of figuring that out. Okay, so one of the other issues that came up that we discussed, because we, once we started diving into this discussion, we realized people had lots of questions about this mythical duplicate content penalty. One of the most common questions that you and I started getting was, well, what about geo-targeted landing pages right. where you are essentially taking the same information and adjusting it to target different specific regions, towns, or however, however you're breaking up your geographic locations as a business right. and ensuring that you don't accidentally dilute all of your own contents. Right. So... <clears throat> So this, this again gets fairly deep and you know, the, the, it, it, the answer is always it depends. So it depends on the goal and the strategy of the business. If you have physical locations, the best thing that you can do for yourself is set up your Google My Business profile and verify it and put those addresses on Google Maps because you're local, for example, or your retail, et cetera. It gets a little bit more difficult when you are a national company that has service areas that may not have a location, like you know, you're distributing via vehicles or something like that. So how do you target a specific region? Uh, and you can, you can do that on, on a couple different fronts. So let's talk about, let's, let's go hierarchically from country to country. href language tags, it's another little tag that goes in the header of your website that tells you what language this website should be in. So if I'm in Spain, I'm gonna have an href language that says, um, uh, e Spanish, uh, Spanish, Spain, which basically tells Google, put this piece of content within Google's Spanish database, okay? So that's country to country. Every country has a country code and that's very easily solvable. All right, so let's say you're in Florida and you have different locations in Florida. You're based, let's say, out of Orlando, but you have a service area in Miami because you drive down every day, but you don't have a physical location. You can make a Miami-specific page of your service. Let's just say it's, uh, I don't know, pet sitting. So I'm a pet sitter and I service, I'm in Orlando, but I service Miami. You can make a Miami page for pet sitting or even copy, copy, but not exact duplicate, right? And start putting Miami related terms. Like if you're near Brickell Avenue, uh, we do pet sitting for Brickell Avenue. So just by putting those words on the page, you're improving what Google calls the entity relationship, right? It, it's saying, look, this is a local term because Brickell Avenue is a street with, located within Miami, Florida. It's, it's smart enough to do that. So just creating the page helps. Then um, if you wanna take it a step further, you could add schema markup, which is a little bit more difficult to do and give it a service area schema, meaning I cover this region. And that doesn't even appear on the page. It's a piece of code that Google will come and crawl as a machine, a computer code that says, um, I understand that the service area for this pet sitting company is also within Miami, but their home base is in Orlando. Okay. I see a little bit of confusion on your face. So what should I clarify? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm processing. I'm pro it, and it, it does make sense. So intent. Let's talk about intent. Maybe this will clear it up. If yeah, I'm, I, I yeah. think that will help. Okay. So let's say that I'm in Miami and I'm looking for pet sitters. I'm a customer now, right? I, and I search for pet sitters, right? And Google's already crawled the, the pet sitting company mm -hmm. site and sees that they have a page that is specifically for Brickell Avenue, right? Or talks about Brickell Avenue 
and I happen to be on my phone, and Google knows where you are, by the way, and they geolocate the fact that you are somewhere within a 10-mile radius of Brickell Avenue, they uh -huh. will serve that page higher because it is it does talk about the avenue, it talks about pet sitting, it talks about rates and service, and all those subsidiary things that would make a good content pillar about pet sitting within Brickell. Okay. Okay. That, that's one way to, that's several different ways to geolocate. Okay. So that makes sense. Okay. So essentially what we're doing, and this is something maybe marketers weren't really thinking about too much in the past, because in the past, we didn't really think about how much Google takes in to account the context of one situation. Google is an intent engine. It, it, we talk about SEO and technical SEO all day long because nobody pays attention to it and we leave stuff to chance and that's where we have a lot of gains. However, from an Google is an intent engine. If you are searching for something, it is trying to find you the piece of content that has the exact best answer to what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. If you have done your job as a, as a content developer to, to talk about all of the things that are related to, in this case, pet sitting within that Miami region, even right. though you're not in Miami, you're going to win because the intent matches what that person is searching for. Regardless of how fast the website, forget all the SEO stuff, the bag of words, if you could just suck all the words out of that piece of content, are a better match for what that search query is. So that wins all the time. Content is SEO. You have to do that first. Okay. All right. So it, so it sounds like as long as you're following some of the same principles that we were discussing before, just thinking about it from the pillar context, but also keeping in mind how much Google is going to be weighing intent, context, location, and all those things. People should, in theory, be okay. Absolutely. Yes. If you just do your job as a, as a, as a writer, right, to, to give the best answer to what you think the searcher is looking for, then you win. Whether it's geolocating or national or anything else, right? It's just that if we're talking about geolocated landing pages, you absolutely want to talk about words that are relevant to that geographical location. Got it. So what do you think are the things that people still get wrong when it comes to this duplicate content quandary, you know, from folks that you see who understand the basics, who understand what you are talking about, you know, they're, they're you know, they're baby stepping, they're doing the work, but right. they're still somehow screwing it up. How, how do you often see that happen? I think this is a self-inflicted wound because you really don't need to worry as much about duplicate content if you're writing a different piece of content. If you're talking about the same topic and you're worried about writing, uh, worried about getting a duplicate quote, content penalty, quote unquote, don't worry about that. Interesting. As as, yeah. As long as you've written, as long as it's about gut feel, 30% different than the original article or piece of reference, you are fine. Google will do a good job of, 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 of understanding that the words and the intent of this other piece of content may be similar, but they are not exactly the same. Interesting. Okay. And the other thing too that I, I think is, is fascinating as well, and I brought this up in our Impact Elite conversation, is a lot of the time, especially when it comes to pillars, I, I never, I can't think of a case where I would ever blindly copy and paste the text of what would be a, a subtopic article as a chapter into, in, in a pillar. Uh, there's always contextually some reason for me to change it. And I think the example I gave is that we have a, we have a blogging tips pillar that I'll link in the show notes. And one of the sections is about how to write great blog introductions. I've actually written about blog introductions in the past for impact, but it was very specific. It was three fun ways 
to write a blog introduction. Right. So when I actually went to write the section for the pillar, I realized, well, first of all, there are more than three ways to write a blog introduction. I ended up, I think, with six basic formulas that people can use. So I added three more. I adjusted the order of it. It had a completely different introduction because it, it contextually didn't make sense to tell the story I did as the start of that chapter. Mm-hmm. And then additionally, on top of that, I just went back and rewrote some of the examples and changed a few of the details and made it just a little more unique. So it, the thing is, is that it may feel like, oh, I've already done the work. Why do I have to do more? It, it feels a lot easier than you think it is. And quite frankly, from a user perspective, if you were to just do that blind copy and pasting, your user is going to have a really poor experience with that pillar because you have not created a cohesive whole. Exactly. Right. And you've done more than avoid the duplicate content penalty at that point, because you're also adding your voice and tone. And, you know, I mean, there, there may be 10,000 marketers talking about exactly the same article, right? Seven tips on blogging. Mm-hmm. There's a billion of the same article. However, each one is independently unique. And, and think about how, how hard Google's job is to find the best one out of all those, right? Uh, obviously, and, and none of those are I have written. <laughs> oh, it's, it's perfectly, it ranks number one across the board. <laughs> 100%. Of course. So, so, it, so absolutely, point very well taken that, you know, just modifying slightly, adding voice and tone and making sure that you focus on the, on the intent and relevancy of, of, this, of the need that that searcher is looking for, then you've done the job. So again, just relax, have another beer, go write and enjoy the writing process and you'll be fine. Everybody calm down. <laughs> chill, right? So just to go back to the origin of this conversation, mm-hmm. why do people think it's a penalty? Because I think the SEO community um, has, has stated it as such, meaning I, they call it a penalty because if you're not getting keywords, um, you, know, you may feel like you're penalized. There have been instances where Google will add a manual action uh, because you're copying somebody's content. Let's put it that way. So there, there is technically a duplicate content penalty, but it's really called a manual action if you've copied somebody's website. Right? They're, they're, the, the algorithm is good enough to shut you down. You said a term there very quickly that I want to just come back to. You said it's a manual action. Okay, a manual action. So let's say that you're a bad person and you are scamming people and you're copying other people's content, right? Um, meaning you are, I, I go, I, I find impactbnd.com and I start copying their articles and putting it on my website. Google can see that it is a one-to-one match, right? It is a duplicate piece of content and it's also extensive. The algorithm can shut your website down. They will block any keywords and de-index my site that is a copy of yours. That's called a manual action. They call it manual, but it's not really manual. The algorithm shuts it off, which means that you have to manually go into Google Search Console and ask for them to review to unblock your site so you can get back into Google. Okay, all right, that makes sense. Sorry, I know you were... uh on a train of thought, but that was just... No problem. I want to yeah, make sure no. I understand all of the terminology, all of the lingo. It's the important. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yes, lingo. <laughs> we need lingo. <laughs> I feel very hip and cool now. You are. You always have. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to learn. So it sounds like, bottom line, if you just don't try to take a ton of shortcuts, you're going to be okay. But yes. you really need to familiarize yourself with canonical tagging. Exactly right, and and it's you know it's a it's a fairly technical term, and it's actually a very technical 
process to turn this thing on and off. Just know that you'll be okay if you're using, for example, a plugin uh, for WordPress like Yoast SEO and make sure that in the settings, it's set to self-referential canonicals. That just means when I publish this piece of content, make sure the tag's in there that points to itself, meaning this is my copyright. In HubSpot, same thing. Uh, Self-referential canonicals are enabled. And then if you want to change that because you've copied the piece of content to do, I'll give you a great example. Here's a really good example. Um, we've written a few articles together and I've written a few articles for impact. Okay. Um, I have copied those articles on my website, but I give impact the canonical link, meaning I point to the originating source as impact. I still have the exact same piece of content on my website, like our is SEO dead pillar, for example. But if you look at the canonical tag, it points to our pillar. So Google understands, hey, this is a copy. I shouldn't be getting the keywords on narrativeseo.com. All of the keywords should stay at Impact BND. That's an interesting thing that uh, I was wondering about. You know, when you start when you start dealing with canonical tags, I could imagine a situation where you start getting confused about, well, wait, which one, which one should I be giving the canonical tag to? So are, are there any scenarios where you might switch around where you put that canonical tag? Um, yes. If you are an author, I'll give you an example from, from a, a customer. If you hire writers to write for you and they write on different websites, because that's a good thing, right? You want backlinks and such from the body content to your articles pointing to your main website. So I'm a company, I hire writers to go write at other websites for me because they are, uh, they're editors or journalists or something along those lines. Okay. When they publish the article, if you don't require them to point the canonical tag, meaning the source originating sources is your website, then the external website will gain the keywords for those articles. Ooh. Right. So you're writing on your, right. So the content is distributed, right? The same piece of content is distributed across the web, right? Because they write for you and it's on your website and on theirs. But when they write it on that other parties on that on that third party website, they need to point the canonical back to your website. Okay. See, this is what happens when people listen to me learn in real time. There's a lot of awkward. Oh. <laughs> That's the brain where the gears turning in the background. I know. Like if people could see us right now, you could probably see the cranking happening in the smoke coming out of my. Head. Yeah, there are a lot of eyeballs pointing to the ceiling. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> So bottom line, you know, we've talked all about a lot of different stuff today, but what would you say are the two or three most important things that, you know, the layman marketer like me who does not have the technical SEO brain that you have just needs to keep in mind when it comes to duplicate content. Okay. So number one, duplicate content is not duplicate if it is, there's no such thing as duplicate content penalty, number one. Number two, when you write an article, if you write an article that is similar to, and on the same topic, just make it a little bit different, right? Have fun with it, but add other keywords that are relevant to whatever the title of that secondary article is, even though it's on the same, on the same topic. It just should not be a mirror. A mirror is considered a duplicate, right? So, so that's fairly simple. Number yeah. three, make sure that you canonicalize all your content to your website. Canonicalize. 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 Big, 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 I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and that is with one N, not two. Otherwise, it is a canon, which is not what you're looking for. Uh, eyebrow raised, Liz. Come back to me. 
<laughs> but now I want a cannon. Now you want a cannon. Now want a you've, taken the, you've given me something that I didn't know I even wanted, and you've right. already taken it away from me. <laughs> a cannon in the front yard would be amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think the one thing I would add in there for me is that don't try to shortcut your content, especially when it comes to pillars. Mm -hmm. You really need to view your pillar as something where it should be solving for a specific problem. You know, you should have a very particular person in mind that you're thinking about. They should be, they will have a very singular intent when it comes to this keyword that you are trying to build this pillar around. And that means you need to be laser focused on creating the best piece of content possible that solves for that person and their specific problem. And if you're trying to have a Frankenstein's monster approach to it, where you're just kind of patchworking things together, you're never going to create the cohesive experience that takes a piece of pillar content from just being an SEO strategy tentpole to something that also could be, you know, something that you, something that you put your name on and use as a sales enablement piece of content, something that creates an, an, opportunity for thought leadership. So that's my piece of advice about it. Yes, of course, you're going to be covering some of the same topics, but contextually, it's always going to be a little bit different. You can always go a bit deeper than you did in that article on that pillar, or you can approach it from a completely different way. So those are my two cents and I'm keeping my cannons. You can't stop me. <laughs> and no one could have said it better than you. Do you uh, know that they're one of the most down. popular beers in Maryland is called Loose Cannon? Loose Cannon. I like it. Where's my <laughs> case? I need to taste that right now. Stat. I will send it to you. There's Loose Cannon, Tropicannon, Double Cannon, Americanon. Wow. Amazing. Yes. It's a pirate-themed brewery called Heavy Seeds. I love that. I know. It's pretty great. I'll send you some. And I, I'm... I'm writing it down right now. I'm about to search that. I hope there's a pillar page about it. <laughs> I can create one. It's just, you know, all cannons. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you, know, you, you triggered a thought when you talked about, when, when you were mentioning, you know, how, do you, how you go about creating yeah. a appreciably similar content. And if you're, ta if, you're, if you're going deep on a topic, it's never been easier to actually find the related keywords that Google would help rank that pillar for. Um, than, than it has been before. It's, you go to SEMrush, um, you look at those people also search for right on Google in the SERP, those questions and answer pages, because that's what Google understands is important to your pillar. So do a little keyword research before you start writing. Look at everything on that page, including people also search for and at the very bottom, um, other, other keywords and terms, the very bottom of, of, of the Google index page itself. And they'll, they'll give you, they'll prime your, your brain to write that pillar and you'll do a much better job with the end result because that is the intent that people are searching for, reflected on Google. Franco, thank you. Thank you, you are the best. How Thanks can people for having find me you if they have more questions? Uh, I live at narrativeseo.com. And you can just email me, call me, find me on the internet. I'm all over LinkedIn, everywhere else I can be. And you're going to be hanging out with us at Impact Live again this year, aren't you? I am. I am. I'm super, super stoked about that. We're talking about what makes up the perfect website. <gasps> Ooh, I think I'm talking about pillars again. I don't know. I could Fantastic. go crazy. I cannot wait. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> all right. Well, next, until next time, I guess. Thanks for having me. I'll see you in Impact Elite. See you there. Bye now. Once again, this episode is brought to you by Scripted. 
And with Scripted's new cruise control platform, you can create data-driven content strategies that get results with access to robust analytics. Learn more at scripted.com.